The heart of every man craves a great adventure, but life doesn't usually feel that way. Jesus speaks of narrow gates and wide roads, but the masculine journey is filled with many twists and turns. So how do we keep from losing heart while trying to find the good way when life feels more like a losing battle than something worth dying for? Grab your gear and come on a quest with your band of brothers who will serve as the guides in what we call the masculine journey. The masculine journey starts here now. Welcome to the masculine journey. We're glad to have you with us today. We are a special thing today. We are live today, aren't we, Robbie? We're over at the uh, Kernersville Community Center. We are. It's our first actual masculine journey live event. And uh, we're looking forward to having some of our other brand of brothers being here with us. We got Andy is, you know, coming to visit with us, and we got Al, we got Dennis, and of course Sam. Absolutely, and and we have done live events. This is just not a boot camp, right? And so this would be a non-boot camp because we were live there too. Good point. Yeah. So yeah. I got a question, Robbie. What brand of brothers do you buy? <laughs> <laughs> easy for you to say. Huh? It is easy you for should, me to uh, say brand of brothers. You should yeah. ask you for forgiveness. We, uh, it is forgiveness. We are talking about the topic of forgiveness again this week, and we're going to talk about it from a little bit different angle. But I want to start out with talking about what a foothold is. I know we use that quite a bit, but it comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, when Paul writes, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, they sound like those are tied together, but they're separate statements and separate verses. And definitely in our anger, we can sin and we can give the devil a foothold. But the rest of that chapter in Ephesians really talks about what are other footholds. It doesn't label them that, but it talks about bitterness. It talks about lots of different things. And so I wanted to see what that really meant, that word foothold. And I looked at it in the original Greek. It's from a word called topos, and it means a they place. They hold your toes? They do. They, they pose them. <laughs> it, it means a place or a portion or a space that's marked off. That's one of the definitions. Another one's an inhabited place. And the third one is really the one that came for me is like, wow. It means a license, an opportunity, a power, or an occasion for acting. So when you give the devil a foothold, you're not just giving him this little toehold, you know, to climb up the rock wall. Now, this is direct access to your heart that gives him license, opportunity, power to act in your life, or at least try to influence you. You know, that makes such sense when you listen to what James says about, you know, nothing godly comes from anger. There's no action from a man's anger that's godly. I mean, that's completely true because, you know, there is righteous anger, but, you know, truth of the matter is it doesn't come from man. Only when you glorify God with your anger. So I, I completely get where you're coming from. Well, I think that it's not just the anger portion. You're right, that can do it. But there's also lack of forgiveness, lack of repentance, uh, lack of confession, you know, those types of things among many others. And we've been talking about this topic, lack of forgiveness. And, Rob, you had some information you kind of dug up this week from one of our friends, a book that he wrote. Yeah, John Lynch wrote a book called The Cure. And in The Cure, he, he talked about, since you're – brought up repentance that that repentance was actually a gift and he he referenced a second timothy passage where you know there was a resolution that needed to happen and he said i'm praying that god grants them repentance meaning wow that was something god would give somebody is the ability to repent and 
as he takes that further, he, t- he starts talking about how you get there with God because one of the most difficult things I know of or I struggle with is where somebody I feel like has actually really wronged me and now I am upset about it and I, I think the way I see it in my own mind is I start running scripts. Mm. <laughs> you know, I become judge, jury, and I'm ready to go. I've got, he did this, 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 and this. And your honor, this, 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 and this. And if I have a chance to talk to him, I'm going to say this, 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 and this. Right. And these, these scripts, they just, and I wonder, as I was listening to your foothold, your toehold or whatever, that he must have hold of my toe, because it seems like even in my sleep, these scripts run as I'm trying to figure out how to get out from underneath, you know, what's going on. And part of it that's hard is it's grounded in truth. I mean, there is truth in what happened. We don't know their motive necessarily always. We misinterpret that. But there's truth in what happened, at least from our view of it. And so it's hard sometimes to break that agreement when there's some level of truth that's in there as well. And so we do have a clip that, you know, is a little comical actually, because uh, in the movie Billy Madison, if you've ever seen it, of course, you know, with my name being Dilmore, Happy Gilmore comes to mind immediately when you think, you know, Billy Madison. (laughs) Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, yeah, Yeah. that's all deal. But in this particular movie, you know, Billy had gone through school and and injured the particular person you're fixing to hear making call and make an apology. But apparently this guy's been running those scripts. He's allowed Satan to get a foothold for some time to the point that actually – what Billy Madison doesn't realize is that he has him on a list that he's going to simply axe murder him, and he has a whole list of the people that he wants to kill. So, as you know, this sounds like a very innocent conversation, a very innocent apology, but what's actually happening here is 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 significantly different as we hear Billy call to apologize. Hello. Hi, is this Danny McGrath? The Danny McGrath that graduated from Mib High School in 1984? Uh, yeah. Who's this? Um, this is, uh, Billy Madison. You probably don't remember me, but I, I went to high school with you. Um, I, I kind of gave you a hard time back then, and I did some things that I thought were funny at the time, but now I realize they were just mean and, and stupid, and, uh, just wanted to apologize, and I hope you forgive me. Yeah, sure. Don't worry about it. It's no problem. Wow, that's great. Um, well, I am sorry, and uh, maybe we can get together sometime and uh, and have some coffee or something. Sure, I'd like that. Okay, well, I'll see you around. Okay. Bye. <laughs> well, it, it sounds so innocent, <laughs> and it sounds so simple, but what you don't see, because it was a video clip, is the guy then turns around and takes a big red magic marker <laughs> and takes... <laughs> Billy's Billy. no longer number five uh, yeah, on the he's, list. He's actually number three, as I recall, and, and he wipes him off the list. And, and and the point being is that, you know, when when Satan has this in your and, – and you don't get, do something to get rid of it, it can really affect your whole life. It can, you know, and that's really – a lot of times I think we misinterpret the scripture of this list of do's and don'ts. But really I think more times than not it's about God saying you need to do these things to protect your heart. You know, it's not that he's sitting up there being authoritarian, not that he doesn't have the power and deserve all our respect. I'm not saying that, but I think we misinterpret that what he's really saying is if you do these things, you'll protect your heart and you won't give the enemy access to your life. 
you know, but we see it as some this rule book of things that I can't do mm-hmm. or things that I must do, and it's really not either one of those as much as these are things that are going to save your life. Maybe not as literal as uh, Adam Sandler's in the movie, but <laughs> definitely our spiritual life and a lot of our relationships are hinging upon it. And that was that was what Billy was really doing, right? He didn't know what else was going on there, so his motive was just, I want to do the right thing. I want to I want to make amends for something that happened all these years ago. And the the thing that actually I like about the clip is is that it's part of the character arc of Billy Madison in this case that. He is sincere. He, he really does feel remorse for this, and, and, and he is at the point of humility saying, hey, you know, I'm not the person I, I, I was trying to be or whatever, and that he needed that forgiveness. You know, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in that scene in the movie, he'd just gone through what he put that, that other guy through. Exactly. So he experienced, and when he realized, you know, how that guy must have felt, that's when the humility started kicking in. He, he was walking in some other, somebody else's shoes. You're exactly right. That's just exactly what happened. But, you know, you got two sides of this coin. Mm-hmm. You got the one where you may have hurt somebody, but if you've been hurt, and you've got a wonderful story, Al, about, you know, how we've got to deal with this. And, and, and that in itself is like apologizing to God. And, and before we get, you know, that we've got to come to God and say, hey, I, I, I'm not the judge here. You know, you're right. And, when I was in high school, um, and I lived in a very dysfunctional family, and I dated this girl, and she was probably the best girlfriend I'd ever had up until my wife that I'm currently with. And no, I'm not being forced to say that. Um, you still plan on being with her? You said currently being with her. <laughs> yeah, my wife. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. This is an awkward conversation. <laughs> um, but with that said, um, every time something would go wrong at home and I would just, my self-esteem would tank, I'd break up with her. Because, you know, I wasn't good enough. And then when I'd start coming out of that valley, I'm like, man, I miss her. And I'd want to get back together. And so she was like a yo-yo. And, you know, I mean, it was just issues on my part. But it wasn't until I started dating other girls and they were just horrible (laughs) compared to her, at least. Maybe it was just that she was the measure. But it was, you know, I, I always came back to that. You know what? I never did apologize. And so... I'd gone away in the Navy and came back. And so it was probably 10 years later. And I, I went to her house where she grew up and her dad answered the phone. He's like, she's not here. She's married. Go away. Don't ever come back. Slam the door. And I thought, what, what the heck? And, um, I talked to some friends and they were like, no, nah, I don't know where she is. I don't know what's happened to her. And I thought, so for, uh, I can't, it seems like 15 years I tried to find her. Couldn't ever connect. And, and just to tell her I was sorry. Well, um, I, can, I saw her on Facebook probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and I said, you know, I wrote her an email just to tell her that, you know, all these years, I, I, you know, I've carried the burden that I was a horrible boyfriend and that, you know, you deserve so much better. And, you know, I didn't really get over that until I got married to my wife, but I still carry the burden that I never told you that. So I sent her the email and she came back and was just so gracious and said, I really needed to hear that. That just meant a lot to me. Um, and it's ironic timing because let's, let's stop right there in the story because I know a little bit more about it. But before we go any further, the thing I find just amazing there and something that I think is important is that we may have asked God for forgiveness in a situation like this, but there's some real value 
when you've hurt somebody, you know you've hurt somebody. What did it mean to you to hear from her? Thank you. Well, let me back up because there's a burden that I carried because so many years when I dated other girls and they they didn't measure up, I recognized her value more and more of who she was, the the heart she had. And so knowing that I, I misused that heart was horrible for me. So to hear her say she forgives me, and it, it was just humbling because I was sitting there thinking, I don't, you know, it's like I was unworthy of the thank you or the, the forgiveness. You know, it took me a while to, you know, to finally we got to an end because, I mean, it had been two decades. Well, you know, Robbie, there's another there's another forgiveness, too. And that's self-forgiveness. And one of the things that I hear Al saying is you probably struggled with that too. So on the back side of that, there was also a blessing to you that you maybe were able to forgive yourself for for the way you felt about some things. I don't think and that's I, hard to come by sometimes. I think you're right. I don't think I could really forgive myself until she did. Yeah. And and there was um, it's funny, you know, when you break up with a girl and she's just completely mean. And angry and, you know, takes everything the wrong way. And you think, wow, she was nothing like this person, you know. But after I apologized to this girl and we exchanged an email, she told me that the night before she got my email, she and her daughter were having talks about just because the guy says he loves you or that he cares doesn't mean that it's going to last forever. That, you know, teenage guys are just stupid. And I was like. And I thought about it. I was like, every girl, you know, has a guy that is their worst boyfriend. I was that guy. The talk that she gave her daughter was about me. And that, that hurt. But I earned it. You know, I mean. Well, you know, it's kind of an old-fashioned idea that, that you brought up, Dennis, and that idea of penance. Mm-hmm. Right? That, you know, part of the process of getting forgiveness from somebody when you've harmed them is feeling like you have a way to make that right with them. I guess that's penance. I, you know, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that's probably a good word for it because until you get that, you know, when you carry that burden and you're forgiven, the burden wasn't gone right away. I had to realize I didn't have to carry it anymore. I had to put it down. So I, as I recall, there was a guy told me, about oxes that like if you let somebody get an ox in a ditch you had to give them back an ox and a half yeah <laughs> yeah from leviticus yeah plus 20 percent i think it is oh, oxen uh, oxen a fifth but <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you just all different the hind quarter you yeah. know this. <laughs> but it's actually but the, it, but the price the, of an ox so they can buy another one but plus first trouble it's interesting that 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 the result of that is our own uh, that's a train. <laughs> it's a train. I think Tweety Railroad is coming <laughs> through Kernersville. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's part of what what goes on in the in that forgiveness of ourselves as we are in that situation. Now I've got another clip here um, along these very lines. Is uh, it's from the movie What Women Want, and uh, you know Mel Gibson is not apologizing for <laughs> so many things he could apologize for, but <laughs> in this case. He had manipulated his boss into getting her fired. And, Helen uh, Hunt. Yeah. And I, he did not <laughs> intend that she get fired, but the result of, of him stealing her ideas and whatever had gotten her fired. But in the meantime, he's had a 
a phenomenal character arc from pretty much the ultimate macho guy in the movie to beginning to see how he was, was affecting everybody else as he could hear what they were thinking and that kind of stuff. And it, it had changed his sensitivity to figuring out, you know, what life may be really a lot different than what he had thought. But he finds himself in a very awkward position with her having been fired and trying to figure out how to work through this. And I, I think this is a fabulous clip. Even I don't blame him for firing me. Look, I'm, uh, come on in. I don't have any chairs, but if you want to. What if I told you that you did everything that you were hired to do? Everything. But that someone was sabotaging you. Picking your brain, swiping your ideas. And, well, you, you never even knew what hit you. How is that possible? Oh, trust me, it's possible. Who would do such an awful thing? I would. I was a dope with a corner office, and when you came with the job I was supposed to have, I mean, it didn't matter to me that you were better at it than me or you earned it more than I did. As far as I was concerned, it was mine, and I was going to do anything I could to get it back. And so I took advantage of you in the worst possible way. Have you ever done that? Taken the wrong road? No, of course you haven't. You, you wouldn't do that. It's just somebody like me does that. And, uh, the problem with that was that while I was digging the hole under you, I found out all about you. And the more I found out, the more you dazzled me. I mean, shook my world, changed my life, dazzled me. And guys like that ex-husband of yours, I mean, he, he made you feel that the price you pay just for being you is that you don't get to have love. Isn't that what you were trying to say the other night? That you weren't complete, that you weren't really a winner like that. Everything about you, how smart you are, how good you are. Everything just makes me want you even more. And so it looks like I'm here at one in the morning, being all heroic, trying to rescue you, but the truth is, I'm the one that needs to be rescued here. Even I don't blame Sam, him for firing yeah. me. Look, we don't uh, hear that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, she wrote it so good. She wrote it Sam... As you listen to that, what is it? What comes to you as far as he needs to be rescued? Well, before I answer that, I think that something was unique in this clip is for forgiveness. She didn't even know she needed to forgive him. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that really takes the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life to even go to that step of wanting to acknowledge something when somebody has no awareness of it. You know, it, it's somewhat easier maybe to go to talk to somebody you know you've wronged and they know you've wronged them, but to go to somebody that likes you and let them know that you've wronged them would be very, very difficult to do. And so when he's talking about he needs a rescue, I think he's, you know, stepping out on the edge and saying, I want to be a different person. I want, I want to be authentic with you. And I want to know that that's safe. You know, I want to know that I, I can do that with you. I mean, that's kind of what I heard as I was listening to it, that that rescue is I'm not that guy I pretended to be for so long. 
but this is the guy that I really am. I don't know, maybe everybody heard a little bit something different, but that's what I was hearing when I was listening. Well, I think so, and I think that there was something else that was talked about in The Cure that you were referencing, and that's the difference between uh, seeking reconciliation and disresolving conflict. Because he could have gone in and said, well, I'm just sorry that really happened. I really made a big mistake, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really apologize for that. Well, what he was trying to do was, as Sam said, he was trying to be authentic, which meant that he, he had – he had the idea of I want to I want this to be authentic. I want to reconcile. I want to have some relationship, even if it costs me my job by doing that, rather than just saying I'm sorry. Can I get out of this? We've seen that so much. We see that in relationships that we have. I know how many times that I've said, "Hey, I'm sorry. It'll never happen again. I'll do that." And you walk away and it's like, "Yeah, yeah, right. We're good. We're cool." And but then nothing ever happens. You know, you yeah, walk yeah. away from it thinking, oh, "Yeah, great." But am I ever going to trust that guy again? Where are we in our relationship? And actually, in the very next chapter of that book, um, Dennis, he says something that is kind of just sits you back in your chair. And he says it's more important that the relationship continue than the behavior get fixed. That it's more important that nothing is hidden. That the most important thing in the relationship is nothing stays hidden than anybody's behavior gets fixed. Let me ask you a question here, though. Agreed. But what if that relationship's not a safe relationship? Right? That I'm not safe to be around. You know, and God did that for me years ago when I grew up with a sister that was incredibly mean. She was very, um, she destroyed a lot of lives in, in her path. And, and so having a relationship with her is really not an option. Um, and so I harbored these real hard feelings for for years and, and I knew that God was calling me to forgive her and I was just stubborn. And I was like, I don't I don't really want to. I don't think she deserves it. You know, and, and we'll talk about that again here in a minute. But what he did with me is he woke me up at three in the morning and said, I want you to pray for your sister. I said, Really? I wh- why? Pray for your sister. And when I prayed for her, all those feelings were released. Now, he didn't call on me to physically call her. He didn't call on me to have interaction because that was not a safe environment. But I'm still called to forgive. We talked about last week where Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven. And Jesus says, says no, seven times seven, right? Seventy seven. times seven. Seventy times seven. But later on is that, and he tells the story of the, uh, the king and the, the two servants, you know, the one that was forgiven much, would not forgive little. But at the very end of that, the last part of that segment in the Bible, Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And from that story, that person was thrown into a prison. Right? This is not an optional thing that we forgive. I mean, we, we tend to believe it's, well, it's my choice. Well, it, yeah, it is your choice, but if you want freedom and you want healing, then you really don't have a choice. And that's what, that's what Christ is getting at here. You're called to do this. Right, and I, I misquoted what I meant to say. <laughs> so yeah. I'm glad you jumped in there and corrected it. It's not that the relationships stay, I'm sorry. What's important is that nothing stays hidden. Yes. Is, is more important than the behavior gets fixed. Right. So let me get that, go back. So in, in that situation, it gets back to another part of this stages of forgiveness 
is that there is a big difference between restoring trust and forgiving somebody. So am I going to trust my sister if she hasn't repented and come back? Or, but can I get in a situation where I truly have repented and and forgiven her vertically right. between me and God. And you got a great mulberry thing along those lines right now. You know, and I believe it's from Luke when Jesus is talking about um, forgiveness. And he says it's easier to move a mulberry tree. And I heard Rob Decker talking about this, that the mulberry tree, its roots go almost as deep as it goes up above the ground. And where those roots are, you know, it drinks water. Now, if those roots are getting bitter water, it, you're going to get a bitter root agreement. And I think that's the key of what forgiveness does. If you don't forgive somebody, then you're going to make an agreement. And you're going to get that bitter root agreement, and you're going to carry that with you forever. If you forgive, then you, you sort of you're drinking from the tree of life, and so to speak, that you know there's a joy that comes with that. You, you don't have to trust them. You don't have to be around them. But you have to let it go in forgiveness. You have to let it go and trust God. You don't have to trust them, but trust God that he's going to heal this. I think what's funny is society knows this. As Christians, I think sometimes we forget it. But society in general, if you watch any movie where somebody holds on to unforgiveness for any period of time, they become bitter. Yeah. You know, that bitter, bitter old man or, or bitter, bitter woman that's in the story, and it always comes back to lack of forgiveness almost every time. But that's what we're doing is we're moving more towards that life of bitterness than we are to life of freedom. That reminds me of the clip Robbie played some weeks ago from Not Easily Broken about um, a mother who was struck. And if you go back and listen to that uh, particular show, that woman's bitterness was deep. It was so bitter that she was trying to poison her daughter in, in her daughter's marriage. Yeah, there's a lot there. And there I think that um, as we get there, that idea of nothing being hidden and being able to get all our stuff out to God, to be able to try to bring it out all to him, because he wants to deal with every part of it. But that's after we step back from being the judge, <laughs> yeah. which takes that humility that to me, I really heard out of you know both apologies and the clips that we heard that that humility that you know, this is where we communicate with God, where, hey, I, you know, I can't handle this. Turn that over to him. For sure. So we have another opportunity coming up to be back here at the Kernersville Community House on August 30th. We do. And so if you'd like to join us here, um, what that looks like is recording the show, a little bit of pre-show, post-show, and then some fellowship afterwards, watching a clip. We're going to watch something from Craig McConnell tonight, one of the great person, great people that was with Ransom Heart, and he uh, passed away. And so we're going to watch a little bit of that and remember some of his wisdom. But we're going to just appreciate you listening to us this week, and, and hopefully God will call you to a place of forgiveness. Let me rephrase that. He's calling you to a place of forgiveness. Hopefully you'll hear him and you'll follow. Have a good week.